Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March 31st, and our chapter for today is 2 Samuel chapter 11. David, a man after God's own heart. Nathan, the prophet of God, and the advisor to the region himself, King David. And Joab, the general of all generals of David, the man who was his secretary of defense. He was the defense minister. Then we have a mercenary that has come on the scene who has married a beautiful Israelite named Bathsheba. The man's name was the flame of God, the light of the Lord, Uriah, Uriah. And he was a Hittite, Ha-Hittite. That is, he was a mercenary, a mercenary who had come and cast his lot with the greatest king of his era. And he had, while doing that, learned of the God of Israel and the God of his king and his leader, David. And he had pledged himself to him. No doubt he was circumcised, and then he became a part of the army of God and the army of David. But a fascinating thing happened. He began to move up through the ranks because, you see, he was a warrior by profession. He was a professional soldier. He gave himself to the highest bidder. Somehow, in the providence of God, he ended up in the army of King David and the Israelites, and he was one of David's gibberim, one of his mighty men. As a matter of fact, he is named over and over again. So much so is he named among David's mighty men that he is even named in the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. God never forgets. God always remembers. He allows that to stick in his mind. Isn't it amazing? God said, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I have cast your sins from me. When the Bible says their sins I will remember no more, that doesn't mean that God gets cosmic amnesia. The word there, forget, means it will no longer have influence over him. He's God. He knows everything. But no longer does it have sway over him and his relationship with us. Why? Because through grace, that is grasp, through trust and faith, We are made righteous because of his grace, because of the covenant promises. And so we have these men all now gathered in chapter 11. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Look at this next sentence. But David remained at Jerusalem. 
It was the spring of the year, and the kings went out to battle. And this time David thought, well, I have served the Lord in battle long enough, and so I'm going to rest for a spell. I'll stay behind and take it easy. After all, I've earned it. I've deserved it. And so I'm going to stay behind. That was a serious, bad, deadly mistake. Now, here's what I would say to any of us who are in leadership positions. Any of us who are men and women who want to please God all the days of our lives. Stay in the battle as long as God gives you breath. Stay with the stuff as long as God has the breath of life in you. Because an idle mind and life is the devil's playhouse. And when we get still too long and our mind goes off of God, and it's easy to do, it's not hard, because we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And David gave us a horrible example to follow. That is, when he should have been out fighting the Lord's battles, he stayed home. You say, well, when should you keep on going to battle? Keep on going to battle. Men, may I say to you, keep on going to battle until you're too weak to have sex. Let me say it again. Keep going out to battle. Keep going to work. Keep your mind occupied with the Lord's work until you're too weak to get up, until you're too weak to move. And then you pray and study and read as long as God gives you a mind and sight and a heart to do it. But if you're too weak to go out to battle, then you're too weak to be up on a rooftop looking at a woman. And we might not be up on a rooftop looking at a woman. We may be on a computer, on a phone, or somewhere looking in something that we shouldn't. God sees it all. And I would say to any of us, if that is a characteristic of your life or a habit of your life, stop right now. Stop right now. Turn this off. Get somewhere by yourself and ask God to forgive you of your sin, and ask Him to have mercy on you. Repent, turn from it, and ask God never to have you to look upon anything in your household or anywhere else that you would be embarrassed if He were there and He was looking at what you were looking at. If David had have done that, we wouldn't be reading the rest of this chapter, but we're going to have to follow through. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house. Now, that would have been up near the top of the peninsula called Zion. Zion. In David's city, the palace would have been at the top. Mount Moriah, where the temple would later be built by his son Solomon, would have been just north of where David's palace would have been, and all of the other houses would have been below him. He could have looked right down into the courtyard, into the walled courtyard of a private estate, and he did, and he saw another man's wife. And the scripture says, When he saw a woman bathing, she was beautiful to look at. And so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
Then David sent messengers and took her. Now, when did he do that? After he found out that one of his mighty men was the one that she belonged to. That's right. She belonged to him and he belonged to her. They were married. They were in covenant. Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. He had sex with her for she was cleansed from her impurity. That's what she had been doing. She had been cleansing. She had been unclean probably because of a menstrual cycle or something else. And she went and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent for Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. You think, okay, David's going to confess, get right and make amends. But no, Joab sent Uriah to David when David had come to him. This is verse seven. David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. In other words, he led Uriah to believe that it was all about information and news and updates that he was sent as a trusted soldier to the king to give a report. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food with the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, this must have stung like an adder biting him. The ark, that which represents the presence and power of God, and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab, that is the man that I'm serving, your general, and the servants of my Lord, my friends, my buddies, my fellow soldiers, they're all encamped in open fields. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. I'll not do such a thing. And David said to Uriah, wait. Here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. David now tried to drug him so that he would get drunk enough to forget his allegiance to his fellow soldiers and to his general. And he did not. He was even drunk. He was a more righteous man than David. And so the scripture says that David wrote a letter to Joab. This is verse 14 and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In other words, it was his death warrant. And Uriah was such an honorable man. David knew that he would never open a sealed letter from the king because that would have been certain death. And with Uriah, one of the mighty men, it would have meant he might not have died. David would have probably shown hesed or mercy to him as he was prone to do, but he would have punished him in some way or another. And in this case, he may have killed him simply because of what he had done with his wife. And so the scripture says, the letter, when Joab opened it, said, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Now that was pretty plain. So it was that while Joab besieged the city and he had assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men, that is from the other side, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning war and charged the messenger saying, 
And when you finish saying everything because some people had been killed and Joab knew the king wouldn't be pleased as Israelites were killed, so after he gave him a report that might not have been the shiniest one he ever heard or had seen written, he said, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, well, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Because Joab would not normally have done that unless the king had ordered him to do it. But David had forgotten, you know, just exactly what he had done and all about this. And his temper got a hold of him. He said, did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him in the wall? So he died in Thebes. Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, Oh, king, by the way, Joab wanted me to tell you, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him with that. So Uriah was dead. David had killed him. You say, No, David didn't kill him. Yes, he did. And in the next podcast in chapter 12, we're going to see. God said David killed him. He did it with the sword of an Ammonite, but he killed him just as surely as he did with his own hand. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. You know, she, no matter what their relationship was, she knew that she had wronged her husband. and The guilt was there. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. David thought, whew, I'm glad that's over with. Now just Joab knows that, and nobody knows but just uh, Uriah, Joab, and I know it. But someone else knew it. The Bible says in verse 27, last phrase, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, all capitals. The covenant God that David had been in covenant with, that God said, I'm going to build your house. God was displeased with him because David had not only killed a man for his wife and had an adulterous relationship with his wife, but now he's covering it up. In chapter 12 in the next podcast, we're going to learn what happens when a man tries to cover up what God has clearly asked him to forsake, confess, and repent of. Whatever God said to your life in these last few moments, my prayer for you is that if God has dealt with you about anything, it might not be as some sin of lust and perversion, but maybe some sin that God's brought to your mind that has pricked your heart. Would you stop just now and again, Just say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right every time. I'm wrong every time. And Lord, I want you to cleanse me and give me a brand new start. And we're going to learn in the next chapter that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins 
That means that he is faithful in doing it. He'll do it every time. And he is just in doing it because Jesus, his son, died to pay for those sins of yours and mine. And we're a part of his family. Discipline may come, but God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Have a fresh start today in Jesus' name. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.